Support for Market Foolery comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com/fool. It's Monday, March 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, back in the studio, back from South by Southwest, and joining me today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Did you miss me? I did. I was a little bit jealous, so I was thinking about you a lot this last week, like wow. all of you guys, thinking, you know, right now Chris Hill's probably having some kind of barbecue, something or other out there. There was some barbecue. Well, it's like, so, you know, people go off on vacation, they come back, you're like, wow, you got some sun. And it's like, so you got some sun, but it's like the barbecue version of it. So right, it's like yeah. you got some barbecue. Yeah, no, I was, I was indoors a lot. And it was good that there was so much walking because <laughs> South by Southwest is spread out across. Downtown Austin, you're at the convention center, you're at different hotels and and all that sort of thing, and it's good because that helped compensate for the amazing barbecue that I ate. And from what I heard, I guess I've heard this a couple of years now at least, it doesn't seem like Uber and Lyft really maintain much of a presence <laughs> there in Austin, which I guess uh, just translates to a lot of walking, which is not a bad thing. Of That's course, true. There's a lot of walking. There was uh, I won't I won't bore everyone with the details. There was a little bit of a snafu uh, with a uh, a full staff dinner that we had involving the local alternatives to Uber and Lyft, like the, the sort of wannabes. It didn't really work out. And resulted in us being late. But anyway, Zowie. Was, yeah, exactly. Actually, we're going to talk about Uber in just a second, but we're going to start with the Walt Disney Company, which had a very, very good weekend. Beauty and the Beast took in $170 million at the box office in the US, $350 million worldwide. This is the biggest opening ever for a film in the month of March. It is the seventh biggest opening weekend all time. And oh, by the way, Disney has six of the top seven spots in terms of box office opening weekends. These guys have cornered the market on superlatives, haven't they? I they mean, kind the of biggest, the greatest, the Did you largest, go this weekend? The, you know, I didn't, but I will qualify that with my wife and my daughters did go. So we'll talk about this in a little bit as well. But but we were in, in the middle of moving this weekend, and so on Saturday, um, I our real estate agent had had you know. Gotten tickets for all of her clients to take them to a special showing of, of Beauty and the Beast, and so uh, my wife and daughters did go. Um, I stayed back to kind of help the move move along without uh, you know too much trouble, and got rave reviews. I mean, they, they unfortunately weren't able to even stay for the entire thing because my other daughter had horseback riding, but they said it was really really well done. I mean, what fascinates me with Disney, I mean, that just makes me think about every single time. I mean, these guys are able to spin a yarn in such a way, we know the entire story. Right. We know the ending. And yet, we'll go back for more. Not only will you go see Beauty and the Beast, but you'll probably go see it like three times. And so, what I think is they've really found something here, and I guess it was Maleficent a couple of years ago, that really sort of shone the light on this, is taking these stories, adding a little bit of a twist or, or, or taking it in a little bit of a direction with, with sort of a backstory, um, but then the real-life adventure, as opposed to the animation. And, I mean, they've, they've obviously struck on something here, because now it sounds like, I mean, they've got more of these types of films coming out in the near future, which totally makes sense. It, it does, and yet I have to confess I was a little skeptical 
when this was first announced, and even going back to the live-action version of the Jungle Book, because that in Beauty and the Beast and, and the Jungle Book, you have two time-tested, beloved animated films, and the live remake of Cinderella. I just thought, well, well, okay, sure, that that makes sense to me. That doesn't seem like a, a, as big a leap. And I, I, like I said, I was skeptical that they were going to be able to pull it off. Uh, the Jungle Book was one of the the uh, biggest hits at the box office last year. This is going to be this year. Um, I think John Favreau, who did the Jungle Book, has, is uh, helming the live action remake of The Lion King. And it's like you said, I and I hadn't thought of that until you just said it. Yeah, no, we know, we know the story. <laughs> we know exactly how this movie goes. Yes, there are a few new songs in this version of Beauty and the Beast, but we know exactly how it's going to go, and we're still going. Yeah, and I think that that's an interesting uh, perspective there and sort of the skepticism. Because, I mean, I think initially, so when I saw, when we went to go see Maleficent, that was where I was initially skeptical. Like, I was thinking, we're just taking our kids to this, I'm probably not going to enjoy it. I think that's pretty pretty much every movie I go to at this point, every kid's movie, I'm thinking going in, I'm like, eh, I'm not going to really like it that much. And then it reminds me, at the end of the day, I am still really a kid at heart. But Maleficent struck me as, as I, I was I was very surprised with that. And so Cinderella, when we saw it, I, I was I, I, I was almost certain it was going to be good because of the story. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, another another one that they've obviously been known for. Um, I, I think what would really like take this over the edge. The one Disney story, I think it's a Disney story, is Peter Pan. That just straight up in any form, any iteration, I just think it sucks. I don't like the story. <laughs> I don't like the people that play the part. There's nothing about it to me that's even worthy of, of going into. If they somehow figured out a way to make me like Peter Pan, now I know these guys have hit, hit, hit real gold. Uh, but I mean, it's interesting. They've got remakes of Dumbo and Mulan coming out here. I think are those, I think those are going to be sort of the live action movie as well, which I mean, that's going to be fascinating. Dumbo, live action, we're talking elephants in the sky. I, I, I've got to go see that just because I'm curious. But uh, again, I mean, we know the stories. And yet they keep us coming back for more. And, and we always talk about Disney and how the bread and butter for this company for so long has been the media networks. And oh, what's going to happen with ESPN? And that was sort of the source of all of these downgrades. And now all of a sudden, I think you're seeing the tide turn with with uh, the general view on the stock because not only do they continue to really score big at the box office, but now we're getting some more clarity as to how they're going to pursue this ESPN strategy in the coming years. Um, Iger was talking about it at the at the company's recent investor day, where by the end of the year they plan to roll out this ESPN branded uh, product that's directly streamed to consumers. And and what we've always sort of been looking at with with this is that it's it's more of a problem of distribution and and really figuring out a way to get that content out to as many people as possible and getting them the content that they want. Um, they're making big investments in that BAM tech and streaming and figuring out how how really. The best way to sort of crack that nut, so to speak, I I, I just can't I, I cannot look at this company and, and really find a reason why you shouldn't own this stock. We just added more in in million dollar portfolio recently. It just strikes me as just a wonderful long term holding with a lot of different ways to succeed, and I would not underestimate uh, the power uh, behind leadership's forward thinking there because they're they're clearly uh, doing something right. 
Last week, I got the chance to sit down with Julia Borston from CNBC. She covers media and entertainment for CNBC. And we talked about a bunch of things at South by Southwest, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, etc. We also, I also asked her about Bob Iger, and what she thinks is going to happen with Iger. And you can check out that interview on the most recent episode of Motley Fool Money. But long story short, spoiler alert. I mean, she talked about a lot of stuff, but I'll just spoil this one part. She thinks he's staying on. She yeah. thinks in the next few months there's going to be an announcement. That he's staying on for at least one more year, maybe two more years. I mean, you've got to figure that if you are, I mean, number one, he's he's been doing this for a long time. He's obviously very good at it, and he seems to enjoy it. So, what I've come to find in life is when you have something that you're good at and that you enjoy doing, it's it's not really work. I mean, I I, I think you know, coming here every day and doing what we do. I mean, I feel sort of the same way, really. I mean, in, in, in many ways, I don't feel like I'm working as much as I just feel like I'm getting to do what I love to do. And I think that Bob Iger is in that same position. And so, that being the case, I kind of wonder, does he really want to step down? I mean, he's not he's not an old guy, so then what is he going to do after? I mean, it's not like, I don't know that you can go to another company and sort of repeat that success because not many companies are set up to succeed like like Disney is. So I think yeah, I I'd want to do that for as long as I could. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he wanted to as well. The second highest ranking executive at Uber has left the company after only 6 months on the job. Uh, Jeff Jones was the was the chief marketing officer at Target. He was hired to be the president of Uber and charged mainly with helping to fix the company's image, and he announced he's leaving in a short statement that includes this sentence, "...it is now clear that the beliefs and approach to leadership that have guided my career are inconsistent with what I saw and experienced at Uber, and I can no longer continue as president of the ride-sharing business." That is as (laughs) damning a statement I have heard from an executive on his or her way out the door as I can remember. I mean, when we see executives leave companies, top-tier executives, it's leaving for personal reasons. It's uh, time to move on, looking for new challenges, spending more time with the family. I can't remember the last time someone walked out the door and said something like this. No, not at all. And I mean, 2017 has really, really been a bad year for this for this company. And and, and we were really and we're just we, 3 months just in. Just getting started. And we've been thinking really that 2017 was going to be a tremendous year and, and possibly that it would go public. I think there are a lot of things to sort of unpack from this, but I mean no matter what, I, I think that regardless how big or how successful the private market might tell you a business is, um that doesn't necessarily make it the case. It doesn't necessarily make it a successful company. And I think Uber Uber's getting a very clear glimpse into what it is like to be a public company, and they're not public. As a matter of fact, they're held under more scrutiny at this point probably than a lot of public companies, which makes me wonder, I mean, if they're not rethinking these plans altogether, because when you go public, I mean, that is the downside, I think, of going public. I mean, the upside is that you're Growing, it's sort of it's sort of a sign of success. You're able to get more capital to keep the business growing, but but it really puts you under scrutiny, and and you have to 
you have to unlock that closet and show every single skeleton that's in there. And, and Uber's kind of having to do that now without even going public. Now, the upside is maybe they get all of this stuff out there in the open, and maybe they figure out a way to sort of resolve uh, these issues. But it, it, it probably is going to be more difficult than that, because it seems like really a lot of the problems that they have are directly tied to executive leadership. And if you have executive leadership that really doesn't seem to be on the level, like like these guys don't seem to be, I mean, they they could really be in trouble because this is not just like a shoe in automatic business. I mean, if if I'm understanding correctly, they're still not profitable, and they're kind of trying to figure out how to get there. And they've been given a lot of sort of the benefit of the doubt because they're another one of those Silicon Valley darlings, so to speak. But I, I think that uh, yeah, they they've got multiple problems here, and it seems like they're all directly tied to leadership, and and that there's no easy solution. Yeah, and. I don't know that they're profitable, I but I do think that there is a market opportunity here, and yeah. I think a lot of people. That's not any sort of revolutionary comment on my part. I think a lot, most people looking at how this business has grown and how Lyft has grown think that there's an opportunity there. So it it really does seem like one of those things where if you're an early investor and you're looking for this company to go public, I think you're starting to have very serious conversations with Travis Kalanick about finding finding someone to take the reins of that business. And by someone, I mean a grown-up. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a very, very good point there. I mean, he's a co-founder of the business. And at some point, a business gets to be sort of a size or a maturity level where you know sometimes it's better off uh, handing over the reins of leadership to someone a bit more prepared for the task. I mean, maybe it's time for Travis to to be just sort of a chairman role or something like that. I mean, maybe he's just not suited for this leadership role. Um, I, th- I think that if you're a lift, you've got to be looking at this and thinking, man, this is nothing but good news for us. Because, I mean, I remember some early on investors saying that they th- they felt like this was kind of like a zero sum game and that. It was either going to be Uber or Lyft, but both couldn't coexist. And over time, I mean, you've seen companies like Lyft seal some pretty nice agreements. I think they were the ones that came up with a relationship with Starbucks. Um, I think it's uh, what is it? WageWorks is a company that uh, focuses on consumer-directed benefits and transportation is part of that market. And Lyft to sign on as a partner with them as well. All of this stuff that's going on with Uber, this really resonates with consumers. All of a sudden, you look at your phone, you see that Uber app, and and you start feeling negative sentiment toward Uber, and it's easy enough to delete it and go just use Lyft. I, I mean, I mean, it's not like it's it, it it really is sort of a logistics business at the end of the day. It's just leveraging this infrastructure that's already in place with people in their cars. So it's 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 a genius idea. Um, I don't think Uber's the only one that can execute it, and if they're doing um, enough in the consumer's mind to warrant not using the service and going elsewhere to use other services, I mean, they get a big problem. Before we get to our next uh, topic, got to say a word about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust and has your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. Nobody likes paperwork. Maybe a couple of like really crazy accountants or tax preparers who are just you know they, 
that's part of what makes them great at their job. But other than those fringe people, nobody likes paperwork. And with Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial information to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So, whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. So, skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Speaking of buying a home, congratulations. <laughs> and lots of paperwork. Uh, and lots of paperwork and signing your name more times than you care to. Uh, you closed on your home this weekend. What? Give me a couple things that you picked up in terms of lessons from buying a home, whether it's investing lessons or just life lessons. I think I have a little bit of, of all of the above. I mean, this was has been a very busy 2017. We had a uh, we had a home in Georgia that we were renting out, and so we sold that, closed on that at the beginning of February, uh, closed on the sale of a house up here, and then the purchase of a new house on the same day, just over the weekend. Um, and and so it's yeah been a lot of paperwork, a lot of signing, and a lot of stuff going on. And so you know some some of the some of the life hacks I guess I've I've found nice. that have been very <clears throat> excuse me been very uh, valuable. And, and because this goes back to 2005 when we first bought that house in Georgia, it's little, but this really is a big deal. At the end of the day, keep track of your paint colors. You buy a house, you go in there, you start painting, okay? And everything's great. You've got the place; it's the color you want. And you've got daughters, and so you paint the bathroom pink, and everything's great. Now, when you sell a house, usually you've got to go get that thing repainted, or you have to touch up stuff, whatever it may be. But today's technology: just take your phone, snap a picture of the top of the paint uh, can, get the code. And just set up a little folder in your cloud storage. And if you keep those codes seven years later, man, you need to touch up whatever. You can go get those. You can get that paint remixed. Nice. Just, it's easy. Yeah, but saves a lot of a lot of a lot of hassle. Um, my wife came up with this one. I got to give my wife Robin uh, full credit. Now our our move was relatively local. Like we just moved about fifteen minutes away. Um, instead of boxes, IKEA bags. Go get those big blue IKEA bags. I didn't know. Do you they know what I'm it. talking about? No. So anybody out there who goes to IKEA, and I think that's probably everybody in some capacity, but IKEA's got these big sort of blue tote bags. They sell them. I think they're like a dollar fifty each or something. And and so they're maybe not even that, but that you can just you can carry a lot of stuff in them. And so instead of boxes, we just bought like 35 of these bags. Basically, what it would cost for like four boxes and tape. And then you just load everything in the bags, and then you can empty stuff, and they're reusable. And then once you're done moving, well, the bags serve other purposes as well. You can keep on using them, and so you don't have to use boxes, which I always found really uh, sort of cumbersome and troublesome. You know, it's just uh, IKEA bags. Good little, uh, good little uh, tip there. My my wife uh, really nailed that one. Um, a lot of people always ask me just in regard to selling a house um, and buying a house, the price that comes in play and everything. I would just remind everybody out there, if you've never done it or if you have done it, the appraisal always wins. So, you're selling your house for this amount of money, but that's not really what it's going to sell for until the appraisal is all said and done. And the appraisal really does win at the end of the day. And so, um, it could be helpful to have an appraisal done before you list your house, because then you have a better idea. Now, I will say, the appraisal in our situation worked out okay. 
we've had it not work out, work out okay before. It can be a little bit frustrating. Um, and then I think investing ideas that come from all of this, it just sort of re- reiterates the obvious one here, Home Depot. I mean, this is one that we're getting on the watch list in MDP. Um, it just it's it's an amazing business in that it's got this huge footprint. It's one of the most Amazon resistant retailers I know of today. And I think that it's always going to be that way. It is basically a wholesaler and a retailer all rolled into one. And what I mean by that is, if you hire a company to come do some work on your house, and when you're selling your house and you got to go through that repair addendum and get some things fixed, the company's going to come by and fix stuff. Well, they're going to come by and give you an estimate, and then they're going to go to Home Depot and buy all the stuff that they need to fix it with. So Home Depot's getting getting a lot of those sales in virtually uh, every part of the transaction. I thought it was interesting to see in all of the lending work that we were doing. Uh, Ellie May was was powering our lenders' uh, software, and so that just sort of reiterated to me. Um, Ellie May is something that uh, lenders use. They like it, and it's a company that continues to evolve and iterate. And my lender even said uh, they're moving so fast that there's just no comp- there's no competitor out there that can keep up with what they're doing because they've already laid the groundwork with this engine that is compliant and up to speed with these regulations that seem to to be uh, ever changing. The one that's got me on the fence, and, and I'll leave you with this, uh, is Zillow. And Zillow is a business that I was far more optimistic on at the beginning of 2015 than I am now. I used to own shares of Zillow. I, I sold them uh, not terribly long ago. And, and I think one of my biggest concerns with Zillow today is that over the past month and a half, I've used Zillow more probably than I ever will in my entire life. And and it is a great, it's the best experience as far as going out there and looking at houses. But man, they didn't monetize me at all. (laughs) Not even a penny. We already had an agent, right? So it's not like we were going on there looking for an agent. I mean, our family, we all four of us used Zillow ad nauseum over the past couple of months. And they, I I feel like they are going to be extremely limited in what they can do unless they figure out a way to actually become part of the transaction. They're, I think they're going to have to disrupt themselves, more or less. Kind of do a little bit to that business, what TripAdvisor is doing to their business right now. If Zillow does not do that, I think Zillow's market opportunity is extremely limited. Um, and I don't know that they have any intentions of doing that. So I, I, That's one to me that I look at today, and I think, man, all the potential in the world, but I think they're going to have to disrupt themselves, or they're, they're going to pay a price down the line. That's good stuff. Hey, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. My pleasure. Uh, two quick things before we wrap up. Uh, we've got a lot of comments on Twitter and and in our Facebook group, uh, which anyone can join. Just go to Motley Fool Podcasts on Facebook and uh, through email. Uh, a lot of questions and very positive comments about the music last week. All credit for last week's music on Market Foolery goes to producer Dan Boyd. Uh, he was picking Austin themed music, Austin based bands, and uh, we we listed. The artist in every episode last week. We didn't list the song title, but we listed every artist. So, uh, so definitely check that out. Some fantastic artists. And uh, I mentioned last Thursday uh, Caleb and Elizabeth, who were the the folks from South by Southwest, who were uh, at the podcast stage. They were respectively the engineer and stage manager for the for the podcast stage at South by Southwest. And they they were given their locals to Austin. They were given Dan some suggestions. So thank you. As well to Caleb and Elizabeth. Uh, 
final story on South by Southwest before I wrap up. So, uh, it's my first full day there, and I'm getting the lay of the land. Last year, the podcast stage was at the convention center. And this year, it was at the Marriott Hotel, which is a few blocks away. And they had basically decided to concentrate all of their media stuff there. So, the podcast stage was in a room there. There were also some breakout sessions. Uh, they had space for media to do live shots. That's where I ended up interviewing Julia Borston, was right next to where CNBC had set up. And they had a media lounge. And the media lounge is an, an enormous conference room, uh, like you would see in a hotel. And it's just broken up with pipe and drape. So, different news organizations have space that they've reserved for uh, for their purposes. So, I was going to sort of get the lay of the land in the media lounge, and I'm, I'm walking in, and there's, uh, there's two women in front of me and, and a guy in front of them. And you, you walk into the media lounge, and it's like walking into a restaurant in that as soon as the door closes behind us, this, you, you're filled with the scent of barbecue. It was like we had just, yeah. And by the way, <laughs> this is 10.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. And so, so, we walk in. And the woman who's right in front of me makes that noise that you make when you you walk into a restaurant or anytime you smell something <laughs> delicious, she just sort of goes, oh. <laughs> and the guy who's uh, ahead of her and, and the other woman, uh, who he has his back to us, um, but he just says, my God, what is that smell? That is amazing. And I, from the back, I just pipe up, oh, that's just my cologne. <laughs> And the women laugh, and the, and the guy turns around, and he's got a big grin on his face, and he's like, yeah, that's great, man. And it's John Hamm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mad Men's John Hamm. Mad Men's John Hamm. And I just sort of looked at him and smiled, and I shrugged, and I just kept walking. Because I, I, I thought of you. I pulled the Costanza. I thought, I'm not, it's not getting any better than this. You this only gets on worse. Top. It only gets worse if I stop and introduce myself and you know and shake his hand. I, I was like, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, the flip to that. You you look at me, hey man, don't get your taxes done. Get your taxes won, and then you're feeling like a total idiot. Yeah, better move just to shut up and just keep moving. Smile politely. Um, holy cow, is that man handsome? Yeah, he is. He is ten kinds of handsome, John yeah. Hamm. He's he's been on the screen a good bit. He seems to seems yeah. to have something figured out. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.